Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to do my best to answer some questions that have surfaced over the last few weeks in my conversations with parents and students. And the hard part is answering these questions succinctly, because many of them are deep philosophical questions that certainly deserve a deeper dive when considering all the different types of specifics and particulars and context involved. But I thought I might give you my quick take in the hopes that it might spur on some thinking or some conversations. Question number one, is college worth it? This is a biggie. Is college even worth it? Well, let me try to outline the types of students who will likely benefit most from college and those who might benefit least from college. And obviously, this is going to be a broad sweep, but I hope some themes will pop out that will give you pause or make you think for a minute. So who will benefit the most from college? Students who can graduate with under $25,000 in student loan debt. This could happen because your parents or your grandparents paid for most, if not all, of your college, or you received a lot of need-based financial aid, or you earned an ROTC scholarship, or you went to a service academy, or you worked your way through college and made money and paid your way. In these cases, it doesn't matter so much what you major in because you're not being burdened by $50,000, in student loans that you have to pay off. You don't necessarily have to graduate with a 4.0 GPA in econometrics and get a job with Goldman Sachs to pay back these hefty school loans. You have more freedom. You can take the classes you want to take. You can major in what you're interested in and be free to pursue a career of your choosing after graduation. You will learn a lot, presumably. You'll make a network of friends. You'll have a credential. And you'll enter the world with a new perspective at, say, age 24. And apart from graduating from college with limited debt, the students who benefit most are those who took the college admissions process seriously, who got into a college or colleges that fit their needs, and who had an initial plan about what they wanted to study and what they wanted to learn. Well, how about those who benefit the least from college? These are the students who get $50,000, $150,000 in debt to go to a mid-tier school. Students who didn't pay attention to the college admissions process. They took a shotgun approach to their applications and just sprayed and prayed. Who didn't have a plan going into college. And instead are doing it just because it seems like the next step, it seems like the things to do, all their friends are doing it. Students who are immature, who use college as an excuse to stay up late, to get drunk, to smoke pot, to play video games, to go to the football game and paint their faces, to miss class, and who major in non-commercially valuable majors, 
like environmental justice or the history of social media. For these students, college is often a colossal waste of time, money, and opportunity costs. These students often graduate with a ton of student debt that creates enormous financial stress. They struggle to find work that pays anything because they don't have many concrete skills, and they have a hard time building momentum toward a career. So in summary, if you're taking the college admissions process seriously, and you can avoid getting into tens of thousands of dollars of debt, and you're not going to turn college into a four-year, drunken, time-wasting adult daycare adventure camp, and there are no bigger and better opportunities knocking at your door, then sure, give college a good, hard look. Question number two, how much student debt should you be willing to take on? Well, as I just mentioned in the first question, I'll reiterate it here. With rare exceptions, I would think twice about getting into more than, say, $25,000 in student loan debt after graduation. And I'm referring to the student here. If the student's parents want to take on another $25,000 or $50,000 and share the debt burden, that's up to the parents. But keep in mind, the parents have other things to worry about. They might have other children to help through college. They have their own expenses. They might have health issues. What about retirement? But as a student, I would hesitate to burden myself with more than about $25,000 in student loans. And it depends on the college you attend. It depends on your major. It depends on your level of motivation. The exception may be for someone who gets into the University of Pennsylvania, which costs $85,000 a year, with the express goal of becoming an investment banker or a hedge fund manager or a McKinsey consultant. If an 18-year-old is that ambitious and motivated, and their goal is to pursue a path with a lot of financial reward attached to it, then they can probably get away with taking on more debt, maybe even a lot more debt, because they'll presumably be making a lot of money right out of the gate. The same goes for some grad schools like law school. If you plan to take out a six-figure student loan to go to law school, but you know you'll be making six figures in your first year out of law school, then it's not quite as risky. But for the average undergraduate college student who will stumble around and eventually major in modern dance theory or the history of Twitter, the math is not so kind. How would this student ever pay off a six-figure student loan? Question number three, should I consider the trades or trade schools? The trades being electrician, plumber, welder, line worker, automotive repair. Well, if you fall into the category of the student we just talked about, who aren't particularly motivated to make the most of college, who don't have a vision for their future, who see college as an extended four-year vacation, and who would rack up tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans without a solid plan to pay for them, then yes, I would give the trades a hard look. Particularly if you're good with your hands, if you don't like sitting at a desk or being in a cubicle all day, if you take pride in building or fixing things, you don't mind getting your hands dirty, and you like to be outside and on your own, there are 9 million job openings in the trades right now waiting for skilled people. Now, you would need to invest some money to get trained, this type of specialized training isn't free, and you likely need some mechanical aptitude and some interest in what you're doing, 
But within a year or two, depending on the trade, you could be out working on your own, making money, gaining experience, and living your life. And within a few years, many tradespeople are making $150,000, $200,000. And with years of experience, the path to becoming a business owner in the trade that you're trained in is well established. And by the way, if you're interested in that, check out the Mike Rowe Works Foundation. That's Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Check that out. Question number four, should I consider military options? Well, again, similar to the trade scenario, if you're a student who isn't quite sure that a traditional college path is for you because of the absurd expense, the unclear path to a job or a career, the risk of making bad social choices, then the military might be a good option. The military offers discipline, leadership, world travel, life experience, a paycheck. The military offers two paths. You can become an officer or you can enlist. If you want to become an officer or a military leader and you have good grades and you play sports and you've shown leadership in school, then you might consider the part-time military experience of an ROTC scholarship at a traditional college or the more immersive military experience at a service academy, like the Naval Academy or West Point or the Air Force Academy. Both of these options allow you to experience college life at almost no cost, or literally no cost, but then they pipeline you into a job for at least five years on graduation, where you'll make seventy, eighty, up to $100,000 by the time your service commitment is up. That's one way to turn the tables on the financial burden. Instead of going $150,000 into debt at a traditional college where you major in cosmic theology, instead you major in leadership in the military and end up with $150,000 in cash in your bank account once your service commitment is up. Then at 27 years old, you can decide to stay in the military or move on to a career in the private sector or any other sector that you want. And if you don't quite have the credentials to win an ROTC scholarship or to get an appointment to a service academy, enlisting in the military is an option as well. Obviously, in that case, you're getting paid right away, but not as much. You are starting to get real-life experience as early as 18 years old. Question number five, are college athletics becoming more important or less important going forward? This is an interesting question because a few years ago, the trend was moving away from putting so much pressure and attention on youth athletics. As a society, we all started to agree that the expense and the expectations and the early starts that accompany these athletic pursuits, they were getting out of hand. The personal trainers, the elite club teams, the travel, the weekend commitments, it all was becoming too much. Well, that trend didn't last long. The surge in using sports as a lever to get into college has never been greater. And by the way, for good reason. As we've talked about many times on this podcast, it's getting more and more difficult for students to differentiate themselves from other students strictly by their grades, their coursework, and their essays. Especially students from certain demographic groups. Everyone is starting to look the same. And sports, and being a recruited athlete, has become one of the last reliable ways to find your way to a selective college. And all of this is being reflected in a renewed interest in youth sports. Question number six, what is the barbell approach? The barbell approach is a term that I use to represent 
how a student might approach the college selection process. If you imagine a barbell, you will see a long, skinny bar with weights on either end. The idea is that the opportunities lie at the extremes, at the ends of the bar. On the one side of the bar are the highly selective schools that almost no one passes up. The Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons, the Stanfords, the Naval Academies, the West Points. Even at great expense, these schools have so much credibility in the marketplace and the world that it's hard to go wrong going to these schools. On the other side of the success barbell are the less traditional paths. The community colleges, the junior colleges, the trade schools, the senior military academies, or the military itself. And a highly motivated student with a chip on their shoulder could find tremendous success on this side of the barbell, particularly because of the lower costs and the real-world experience that students get right out of the gate. It's the thin bar in between the two weights on the edges that can get students into trouble. It's the mid-tier, it's the lower-tier colleges that still cost $65,000, $80,000 a year and drive student debt through the roof and don't hold much weight in the marketplace. And combine this with a fluffy major and a lot of drinking and missing classes and a middling attitude, and it's a recipe for disaster, which often entails moving back home with mom and dad into the basement. Question number seven. If I was rejected from my dream school, should I go to my match school for a year and then try to transfer to my dream school as a sophomore? In almost all cases, this is a bad idea. I know it's hard to let that dream go, but delaying the dream only to be turned down again might be even worse. Very, very few of the most selective schools have many spots open to second-year transfers. There are some, but they're pretty rare, and they aren't really given to students who didn't get in the first time but really, really want to get in the second time. And keep in mind, by the time you have to submit your transfer application, you'll only have been in your freshman year at your match school for about two months, maybe three months. You won't really have that much of a track record. How much will, you, will your professors really know about you in two months to write recommendations? So unless you've done something completely over the top, or there's some undeniable reason why you would be so much better off at that dream school, it's going to be a long shot. I know the knee-jerk reaction is to try again, next time will be better, but I would try your best to let it go. And even for the students who are dead set on doing this, by the time they get to their college and they spend a few weeks on campus and they make friends, they end up loving it so much that this desire to transfer to the dream school often fades away. Question number eight, how many colleges should I apply to these days? I'd say about 10 schools. Ideally, you have a reach school that you really love and that you have a decent shot at, and you pour everything into that application, which will likely be turned in quote-unquote early. That early application will serve as the template for all the others because your first application is almost always the best because you're fresh and you spend a lot of time on it. After that's submitted, ideally you apply to four to five solid match schools and two to three safety schools for a total of about 10 or fewer. The key here is that you have to do the upfront research to know what the good fit colleges are. And then you have to bring that same enthusiasm and attention to detail and energy to these applications. 
Many students get burned out after they submit that early application, and they lose steam on the regular decision applications. And of course, in the back of their mind, they think they're going to get into that dream school or that reach school. So do they really even have to do the other applications? And then at the last minute, they panic, and they add six, seven, eight more applications, and they all essentially become the same application because they're just copying and pasting different versions of the same essays. Because you can't customize 12, 15, 18, 19 different applications. It takes too much work to do them well. So the key is to apply to fewer schools with higher quality applications and make sure that you love every one of them. If you do this right, you should get into a few of them and then you should have your choice. And the last tip is that you always want to assume that you will not get into your dream school, your reach school, especially if it's a big reach school or a lottery school. Pinning all of your hopes and dreams on that one school can lead to a big letdown. So manage your expectations and focus on quality over quantity. Question number nine, how do I increase my chances of becoming a recruited athlete? Well, let's start out with determining if you have the potential to be a college athlete by sixth or seventh grade. Now, how do you figure this out? Well, number one, you check out your track record. Have you always been ahead of the pack athletically for your age? Do you have the support of your coaches and parents? Do you have the resources to support what it will take to get to the next level? And by that, I mean the money to pay for the games, the fees, the travel, the uniforms. Do you live in an area where your sport is very competitive? For example, if you play lacrosse, but you're from North Dakota where there's not a lot of lacrosse, that might be hard to get you the level of competition that you need to get to that level. And lastly, think about some of the uncontrollables, like your child's metrics. Does their size and shape and height and weight and quickness and muscle development do all those things align well with their sport of choice? And I know this is, can be hard to predict in sixth or seventh grade, but you can make an educated guess by looking at the parents. Ideally, to get to that elite level, to get to the point where you can play sports in college, you want their metrics to align with their sport. A five foot eight male basketball player has got a long road ahead if they want to be competitive at the college level. The more of these boxes you can check off, the better. And in the end, you're going to have to make an early call, probably by about eighth grade, and then plan for the best. Question number 10, should I still take the SAT or ACT? Yes, I'm not sure why you wouldn't take it these days, unless you're strictly applying to schools that are test blind, which means they don't accept any scores, even if you wanted to include them. Those schools are very rare, by the way, at least for now. And I know that quote-unquote test-optional policies are still alive and kicking and tempting many students to skip the SAT and ACT, but do so at your own peril. Test-optional does not mean that they don't consider scores. It means that they're not requiring scores. A strong SAT or ACT score can go a long way in solidifying the strength of your application, even in a test-optional environment. And remember, unlike athletic scholarships, which are next to impossible to get, merit scholarships are far more common and more generous in many cases. Merit scholarships are used to entice students with strong grades 
and high SAT and ACT scores to go to school X instead of school Y. No SAT or ACT scores, no merit scholarships. Some merit scholarships are for $25,000, $30,000, $40,000 a year, which can be game changers. So don't blow off that SAT and ACT. Well, that was 10 rapid fire questions that I hope gave you some food for thought. And let me say again, these are some pretty heavy questions that require a lot of thinking and analysis and planning. So don't take them lightly. Again, if you're not yet enrolled in Preple Academy, where we address questions like this every week, please consider enrolling. The earliest students can enroll is June 1st at the end of their eighth grade year. The latest a student can join is May 30th at the end of their sophomore year. That's only five weeks away for all you sophomores. The program is also not open for juniors and seniors who are not already in the program. And as always, if you do have questions specific to your child and their situation, reach out to me. We'll set up a call and we'll go through each one. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, or 11th grader in high school that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding this small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends the link to this episode with a little personal note from you recommending that they give it a listen. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, because I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. Preple Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.